chairs. Uh, really good to be here this morning and um, be with you. Tim, thank you for the introduction. It's sort of one of those introductions that um, you listen to and I think I now can't wait to hear myself speak. <laughs> um, it's sort of really hard because now he's given me something I have to live up to. Um, Christmas is over, New Year's about to start. Probably some of you are in recovery mode. Um, we're still celebrating Christmas, actually. Uh, my son and his wife have been away. They get back uh, tomorrow. So I love the fact that uh, we'll be having another Christmas day um, when they get home, because they've asked if they could, and I think that's really exciting uh, from that point of view. I love Christmas. I start playing Christmas carols in about July, uh, much to my wife's horror. And... Um, to be able to extend it is really fantastic uh, from that point of view. So I don't know how you went for Christmas. Um, I don't know um, how, what family you had around or things like that. We had a quiet Christmas, just our immediate family tend to. We, we have forsaken the get-together with all the in-laws and the, we just have Christmas Day with our immediate family, which is the five of us. And um, believe it or not, it is so relaxing and the other great thing is, is that you don't get presents you don't want, uh, which is really great. Um, but I know for me with, with Christmas or with lunch in the past, um, when I was growing up as a kid, we had people, we had relatives come and uh, it was sort of an exciting time in one sense. But I don't know whether you have the same situation in your family. Um, sometimes you can have some fairly strange relatives. Anyone have... That kind of a situation? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, thank you for those of you who are being honest. Um, and um, the reality is, is that there's always an uncle that you just sort of don't like or is really strange. I can remember when I was a kid, I was the youngest in our family, and um, we would have people around and there were a couple of people who were, they weren't really related to us, but we called them uncle and auntie. We'd sort of grown up with them. And, and um, to be quite honest, this particular guy was a, an older guy and um, he, I'll try and put it nicely, but he had an eye for the girls. Yeah. And um, I can remember when he knocked on the front door and, of course, we all had to say hello and my sister hated him. And um, so she went to, you know, my father, you know, give, give Uncle so-and-so a, a kiss, you know. So she sort of leant up to peck him on the cheek and he turned and got her straight on the lips, you know. And I can remember her going, ah, and running down the passageway to the bathroom. And all we could hear was this scrub, 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 scrub of her. I hate it when he does this. And we could hear that and we're all trying to ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah. There's always someone in the family like that, that you sort of wish you could avoid. But at times like Christmas, we tend to be nice to them and we invite them. And they become there, but we can't wait till they leave. All right. Um, and that's the interesting thing. So... With that in mind, holding on to that thought, the other thing I want to talk to you about as well is I do a lot of leadership training and one of the things that uh, in leadership training we do, especially on the first day because the courses I run go for six months, and um, the first thing one we do is we talk about what's called the imposter syndrome. Anyone ever heard that term? Okay, some of you had the imposter syndrome. And that's where you are with a group of people and you start to hear a bit about their story and this person on that side shares and that person. And you sit there after a while and you're going, 
Oh my goodness, listen to that person. Oh, wow, I can't believe, I, I don't know that I should really be here. And we start to, that's what's called the imposter syndrome, when you feel you shouldn't be there. Okay. So I want to talk to you about that as well this morning. Now, I am going to read, um, this is one of my favourite chapters, and if you have got your um, Bible, um, please follow along. And I, I know this might raise a few eyebrows, but Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And verse 1 to verse 16. Okay. Um, really exciting chapter. Really exciting chapter. Okay. At this point, some of you are saying, why did I come to church? This morning, I knew we were going to look at this passage. So let me read it to you, okay? For those of you who... Um, because this is the chapter, I have to admit, that I've always avoided. All right. Anyone else? Yes, two people, okay, have avoided it. The others are just not prepared to say that there's a passage in Scripture that they didn't read, okay? So let's start. The re record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father... Have I lost you at this point? Absolutely. Some of you have gone to sleep. You know. Why on earth? And I have to admit that for years, I really ignored that chapter because all it is is a list of names. And you go, what is so? why on earth did God have that in the Bible? You know, what was he thinking to put that in? Because most of us will either be asleep or we just literally ignore it and go on to the next few verses. Right. But there's some really interesting stuff. One year I got really, really challenged. And the challenge for me was, I really felt God say to me, why are you avoiding that chapter? It's there for a purpose. And I go, well, yeah, but the purpose was really for the Jews, you know, because they were really interested in this sort of stuff. And, you know, but it doesn't really make any sense to us. And, it, and again, I felt God sort of stirring me, saying... Gene, it's there for a purpose. Have a look at it. Have a look at it. So reluctantly, I started to look at it. But I didn't just look at it in the sense of let's read it because, again, you read it and get halfway through and your, your mind is elsewhere. But what I found myself starting to do was let's have a look at some of those names and find out a bit about their background. Let's see where they come from. Let's see what happens. And it's really, really interesting when you start to look at some of the background of some of these people. So, for example, you know, the son of Abraham. It talks about Abraham. And the Jews always absolutely would say they were children of Abraham. Right? That's one of the things they threw at Jesus when they said to Jesus, we don't know where you came from, we know where we came from, we're the children of Abraham. That was a thing of pride that the Jews would really throw out there. And yet when you look at Abraham, um, I know we might call him the father of faith and stuff like that. He didn't have much faith when in two situations that he went into, one in Egypt and you know, he lied about Sarah. He lied about the fact that Sarah was his wife and he said that she was his sister. Now there was a little bit of half-truth in there because they were related. 
But the only reason he said that was not for Sarah's sake, but for his sake, because he was scared. The Pharaoh was really keen on Sarah, and Abraham was concerned that if he said he was her husband, they would kill him so Pharaoh could marry Sarah. Wow, that's really a father of faith, isn't it? So he lies about this. The other thing, you think about his personal life, his family life. He's the one who um, ended up having a child by the servant girl. Who's, you know, the, the child's name was Ishmael, who became a pain in the Israelite side forever. And what did he do? Because Sarah, after a while, who was still childless, she got teased all the time by the fact, here's this child, her servant could have a child, and she couldn't. And she says to Abraham, you've got to get rid of him. And so Abraham packs her up, packs the servant girl up, and Ishmael, and send them out into the desert, where they're going to die. What a great family life. And this is the person they call the father of faith, you know, Abraham. When you look at his life, absolutely not perfect at all. Yeah, in fact, quite a messy life, but we, we sometimes forget about that sort of thing. And then Jacob is listed there as well. Jacob cheated his brother out of his birthright, remember? Jacob and Esau. You know? And his mother, he, she really idolised Jacob above Esau. Esau was the one that went out and you know, hunted and brought home stuff um, for the cooking pot. Uh, Jacob stayed home and knitted. Um, well, I don't know if he did, but yeah, that was the kind of kid he was. And his mother wanted him to be the blessed one and get the blessing. And so she connives to get Jacob to put on these skins and stuff so that when um, his father sort of feels the skin, because it says Esau was a really hairy guy and Jacob wasn't. So he felt and thought, well, that has to be Esau. And so he gives the blessing to Jacob. What a liar. And he also cheated uh, Laban out of his flocks and stuff like that. And you think, wow, you know. And then if we go a bit further, Judah. Judah who's, um, has his sons and his sons married, his older sons married, and dies. And the idea, what happened was, is that in those days, and it was about continuing the family line because it's important, and um, so what happened is, is they, theoretically, when one son dies, the next son would marry. If they weren't married, they would marry, right, to help the continuation of the family line. So he gives his next son to Tamar, and his next son dies as well. You know? And so Tamar is like a curse, in one sense, in the family, because she's married to the older son, he dies, so uh, Judah does the right thing by their culture, gets her to marry his next son, he dies. And he's got a third son here, he thinks, no, nah, nah, not going there. You know, two sons already have died, what on earth is she putting in their food? You know, so he doesn't, and she is waiting, and she realises that he's never, Judah is never going to give her the third son for her to be able to have children and continue the line. Here's a really interesting thing, and the Bible doesn't hide it. What happens is, is that she realises she's not going to get that blessing, so she goes out, she knows that Judah is going out to see the flocks and stuff like that. She, she dresses up, hides her features, and literally sets herself up in a little tent along the way as a prostitute. Right? And Judah comes along, sees her and desires her, and falls in love with her, and he has a child by her. 
In fact, two children. They have twins. She has twins. And of course, the whole idea is, you know, he says, look, I haven't got any money with me. I'll pay you later. And um, so she says, well, you need to provide me something. So the staff and something else of his, she keeps. Of course, when he goes back the next day to pay, she's not there. When he finds out that Tamer, who is not married, is now with children, he decides she needs to be killed. She's going to be stoned because she's obviously done the wrong thing. And she presents these things to him and says, here, you are the one that slept with me. Hello. He slept with his daughter-in-law. So you begin to look at some of these things and go, oh my goodness. Doesn't this sound a great message for church um, on on a Sunday? Uh, Then you've got nation. So nation... As an interesting one in verse 4, nation. Nation became the leader of the tribe of Judah. Moses actually put him in charge. And why did he put him in charge? Really interesting. Nation is someone who, um, I guess you could say he was, he was adventurous. He was prepared to take a risk. And so he was uh, amongst the group before he became the leader of the tribe of Judah. He's amongst the group who have now come out of Egypt and they're standing there at the Red Sea, right? And the Israelite people are saying, we're in trouble. They look at the river, they look at the sea, they can't go anywhere, they've got no boats, they look back and they see the Egyptians coming and they go, oh my goodness, that we, we wish we'd never left. You know, what, can we go back? And Moses is saying, no, 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 stand still and you'll see the deliverance of God. God says to Moses, why are you standing still? Go forward. Right? And it's really interesting, not in the Bible, but there's a little Jewish story that goes along with this, which is really sort of funny, and it's a little bit of the Jewish humour. It says that Moses said to the people, look, God's told us to go forward, and um, of course the people are going, go forward where? We're only going to drown. And nation is the one who first steps into the water. And starts walking into the water. And of course the water's swirling around. And the Jewish story goes um, that you know, Moses says to God, God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Where do I go from here? The people are trusting you. Tell me what to do. And God says, for goodness sakes, Moses, stretch out your hands. Do something fast because a guy's already gone into the river and he's drowning. And that's the Jewish um, thing. But the whole thing was the Jewish record nation as being the first person to step into that water and follow because he believed God. So when Moses said, God said, go forward, nation doesn't go, we can't because there's water in the way. He actually goes forward and walks into the water. So because of that, he was made the captain, uh, the ruler of the tribe of Judah. And um, really interesting... Not only because of that, his um, sister married Aaron, so he was related to the high priest, um, Aaron, who was the high priest. And also what happens is is that um, Nation gets promoted in the sense that Moses creates this eldership and Nation becomes one of the elders that advises as they go through the desert and stuff like that. So what a fantastic guy, what a tremendous guy this is, except... So for all the blessing, all the stuff that's happening, something else also happens. What happens is this, that nation um, unfortunately became part of the group that complains. So remember it says that there was this complaint um, of the people saying, why are we here? What's going on? Um, we want to go back, and Moses saying, we need to go forward, folks. No, 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 let's go back. Nation was one of the ones that opposed Moses. 
He'd come so far, he'd been the first to jump in the river, he'd been blessed and made the leader of the tribe of Judah, and yet even at this point, did it go to his head? I don't know. Well, what happens is he now poses Moses with the others, and because of him and the others, that's where God says, because of this, you will stay in the desert until all these people who opposed me and Moses are dead. No nation went from being this fantastic faithful person to someone who opposed what God was asking or calling them to do. So there's nation. Um, David, you know, King David, one of the great kings. Yet we know um, there's a fantastic in kings. I love the statement that says, um, and King David at the time when kings went forth to war stayed at home. You know, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time and he looks out from his, you know, his um, palace and he sees Bathsheba and he falls in love with her, but she's married. So what does he do? What he does is he calls in his army, he calls in his generals and says, next time you'll attack, when you go on the attack, because he was getting reports back, next time you go on the attack, put Uriah, which was Bathsheba's husband, put him in the front row of the attackers and then as you run forward, what I want you to do is this, stop so that Uriah keeps on going and he'll get killed. And his general did what he told him. You know? And his general comes back and says, King David, uh, yeah, we've won the battle, but I'm sad to, you know, sad to tell you Uriah died in the battle. And King David goes, oh, that is so sad. Let me go and see Bathsheba. Right? So he goes and sees Bathsheba and ends up marrying her. He was a murderer. He conspired to have someone killed so he could have what he wanted in life. Now, why am I telling you all of this stuff? I could keep on going because I began to realise this, that when you start to look at this whole thing, the genealogy of Jesus, when you start to look, it is not perfect. It's not perfect. When you look at the people in there, they're not perfect. What I want to tell you is something, out of imperfection can come the perfect. Out of the imperfection of this genealogy, out of what all these people did, the messes they made, the stuff they did, comes Jesus, the one who is perfect. And why do I think that's important? Because I think we're at this stage between years, 2018, 2019, you might look back on your life and think, I don't know what I've done with it. I don't know that I've actually done the right things. I can look and see stuff I've messed up on. And I want to tell you now, Satan's pretty good at accusing us. He's called the accuser because he accuses people. He accuses you, he accuses me. And we can come to church sometimes and be here and we look okay on the outside, but on the inside we begin to think, I don't know that I should be here. I look at someone else and think, wow, they're doing so well with their life. I'm not doing so well with my life. We start to look at the people around us and go, gee, they really seem to have it together. I haven't got it together. And we begin to think, I shouldn't be here. Maybe I'm not the right person. Maybe Jesus made a mistake, but he chose me. Maybe he hasn't really chosen me. Maybe I just think. And Satan begins to use that. He begins to tell you you're an imposter. He begins to show you the flaws in your life or the flaws in your family life. Our family's not perfect. My goodness, I look at our family and I look at my history of where I came from and think, oh my goodness, I've been researching some of our family history and one of my great um, uncles, I think it would be, or great-great uncles, um, was sent to, you know, he was an English 
guy and he was in the army and he was sent to India, and, um, which is where my family eventually came from. But you know, he grew up in India and one of the things he was involved in, and I only discovered this because um, after my mother uh, passed away some years back, I was going through all the stuff and I found this medal you know, and it was actually a, a, made of gold. Um, I thought, whoa, what, what's this medal? And it turned out it had been awarded to this great-great-uncle um, of mine. Why did he get this medal? He got this medal because he was one of a band of the army that went into the hills in India to wipe out a whole village. Why did they go to wipe out this whole village? Because the British who were in India at the time wanted somewhere to grow tea. And so they decided and they chose that village as the ideal place and they wiped the whole village out. And because he was involved in it and one of the leaders, he got this medal. That's really something for me to be proud of, isn't it? Can, can you see the fact that when we begin to look at our family, we could find so many things wrong with our family that we begin to say, do you know what, I'm nothing, I can't do this and look where I come from. That's why we have Jesus. Jesus is the one who perfects us. He's the one who takes the mistakes you make. He's the one who takes the stuff that we're embarrassed by that we don't like. He's the one that takes that and changes it and makes it new. I love that verse in Corinthians which says, old things have passed away, all things have become new. And that's a really interesting verse because when you go into what it means in the Greek, it actually means everything that might have happened for you in the past is actually gone. It's gone. It's as if it never, ever happened. You are now a new person. Everything from now on is as if you have never done it before. Never. And that's why when you come to Jesus, oh God, I'm so sorry, I've sinned, I, I did it again. God says, what do you mean again? Because if we've confessed it and given it to God, it's gone. We're a new person. We are a new creation in Jesus. I want to say to you this morning, it doesn't matter about your past. It doesn't matter about your family background. It doesn't matter what you may have done over this past year. If you've given it to Jesus, it's gone. Out of imperfection comes perfection. What is the role of the Holy Spirit? It tells us in the Bible the work of the Holy Spirit is to make you more and more like Jesus. Is to take you and work on those areas of imperfection to bring you to a point where those imperfections disappear in your life. I grew up as a Christian sometimes thinking, I had to do that. I had to get rid of the imperfections. It was really frustrating because I couldn't. You know, so I thought, there's something wrong with me. I'm not praying enough. not reading the Bible enough. You know? It didn't matter. The more I did that, the more I messed up. You know? Good news, folks. It doesn't matter about that uncle in your life or in your family. It doesn't matter about where you've come from or who you were or what you've done. You are on the edge of a new year and all the stuff that's happened in this last year can be gone, can be totally forgiven because of Jesus Christ. Out of that which is imperfect comes that which is perfect. And I think part of the reason for us that that whole genealogy thing is there is to give us that message. God loves you so much. He will take your life. He takes all that imperfection and he gets rid of it totally ignores it 
and presents you as you are and says, you're not an imposter. I chose you. I didn't make a mistake. I didn't make a mistake. Maybe some of you this morning do feel God made a mistake when he chose you. Maybe you feel, wow, look at other people around me and see they've really got it together. Um, and, And if you only knew their life, if you only knew what was going on in their heart and their minds, most of us are sitting around the place and we, we actually feel that and yet Jesus wants to take all that stuff in your life and get rid of it and bring you to that point where you become more and more like him. That takes time. And that's actually the work of the Holy Spirit, not your work. When I realised that, it was the most releasing thing in my life to realise I don't have to make myself more like Jesus because that's what the Holy Spirit's role is. He takes the imperfection in me, as long as I let him, He takes the imperfection of me and he works on it, changes it. And sometimes, you know, he does it without our knowing, without our being aware of it until you suddenly find you've changed. When I got called to be the pastor at Kalgoorlie Church of Christ, um, I never wanted to go. I'd flown up to Kalgoorlie a few times to speak um, and I hated the place. To me, it was red dust and tin fences. Who wants to go there? And um, the church one day contacted me and said, God's put your name on our heart and uh, we feel, you know, we should call you to be the pastor. And I'm going, oh, no. Um, and I said, you know, the right Christian thing to say, I'll pray about it. Um, in my mind going, yeah, and I know what my prayers are going to be. God, get, you know, just take my name off their hearts. Um, give them someone else. And so I, what I did, and again, you know, this reveals a bit about me, um, I decided I'd set them some what I thought were impossible asks so that they'd say no and therefore be them saying no rather than me saying no. Right. So I said to the eldership, look, I'll, I'll really pray about it. Okay, I'll accept it on this condition. And can I just tell you, never do that. Um, I'll accept it on these conditions. Firstly, if I feel God telling us that we should be going in a certain direction and you don't agree with it as an eldership, tough, we go in that direction. If, as an eldership, you feel we should go in a certain direction and I don't feel we should go in a tar- that direction, tough, we don't go in that direction. And I remember hanging the phone up and thinking, problem solved. There is no way anyone's going to agree to that. I mean, they don't even really know me, so you know, I felt safe. They came back and said, we agree. Oh, God, how can you do this? You know? And then I remembered who we was. Um, <laughs> You know, and you think, oh my goodness. And I thought, okay, God, I don't want to go. And in fact, I'm not even willing to go. Right? But because that was the question I felt God asked me, are you willing to go? And I said, no, I'm not willing to go. And here's then what God said to me Are you willing for me to make you willing to go? <laughs> Which I think is really nasty of him. But yeah, you know, are you willing to make me willing? And I thought, okay, can't see that happening, so I'll agree to that one. Yeah, God, I'm happy for you to make me willing to be willing to go. I was driving along um, Mounts Bay Road, and it was just at a time, beautiful sunset, and they've got those great flame trees um, there, opposite what used to be the old breweries and our restaurants and stuff. And they were just beautiful in the golds and the colours. I can still remember this late afternoon, driving along, and I looked at these thought, and I loved just the colours and thought, and here was my exact thought that I actually said out loud. I said, oh, God, gee, I'm really going to miss this when I'm in Kalgoorlie. 
and I suddenly felt this hot and cold thrill go up and down, but almost veered off the road. You know, what, what did you just say? And I suddenly realised that since the time I'd said to God, I'm willing for you to make me willing, he had somehow sneakily worked on me so that I was willing to go. And I never forgot that because it made me realise we've got to be honest with God. Yeah, he knows anyway when we don't want to do something. But are we willing for him to make us willing? Yeah. Are you willing for God to make you willing to put your past aside? Are you willing for God to change you and make you more of who you should become? And I think that's the fantastic transition between the old and the new, 2018, 2019. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. Are you now willing for God to be able to reach into your life and do what he wants to do? He can change you. He can make you new. You may not be willing to. You may not want to let some things go, but just say to God, I'm, I don't want to let this go, but I'm willing for you to make me willing to let go of these things. And leave it to God, because I'll tell you what, he will do it. So be careful what you say from that point of view. That's, to me, what this whole genealogy thing is about. It's about God dealing with those past stuff. We don't have to worry about it. You're not an imposter. God has chosen you. Jesus chose you specifically by name and called you. He knew who you were and what you are before he called you. And he will make you what he wants you to be. Okay. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. And thank you for the fact that in spite of all we might have done, how we might have messed up, you actually still love us. And in one sense, that stuff that we've done, the mistakes and the sins, are totally immaterial to your love for us. Because your love doesn't have any limits. Your love is so overreaching that it goes beyond anything we could ever do. We can never turn you off us. And I really thank you for that. I pray this morning you would help us not to feel like we're imposters and we shouldn't be here or we shouldn't be in God's kingdom. Help us to realise that that's just accusation from the enemy. And if we give that to you, you can take that stuff away and help us to begin to see a bright new year where we walk hand in hand with you. And Lord, I really pray this morning, touch us, refresh us, and help us to see that out of our imperfections, you bring something perfect. Just bless us and strengthen us in your name. Amen. Wasn't that a great message? All right, let's gonna, we're going to stand to our feet one more time and we're going to sing that song that we started with, Grace on Top of Grace.